You are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information, visit commongroundcma.org. <laughs> so that has got to be the best intro to preaching a message I think I've ever followed. <laughs> because why would Satan tell us the truth? In fact, uh, all of us, even me, um, throughout the probably this week, through circumstances and other things, have had a little voice trying to paint a picture of God for us that really is not a true picture. And that's why we're doing what we're doing now. That's why we're going to open up God's Word. And I invite you to do that right now. There's Bibles at the table. You can open up the app on your phone, whatever works for you. And go to Psalm 68, the 68th Psalm. And uh, we're going to take a look here at what it has to say to us tonight. But before we look at that, I have a question for all of you. So we were having a conversation a little bit earlier about cars. What was the coolest set of wheels you ever drove? My Subaru right now. Your Subaru right now. <laughs> That's right, yes, your cross track. Yes, Brian. I have three, there's a tie. Uh, my first car was a 1982 Volkswagen Rabbit. It was so fast, the paint was literally peeling right off. Yeah. So fast. Um, and I ran that headlong 60 miles an hour into a 1978 Cadillac sedan. I'll let you guess who won. Um, and then my other two are both of my 1986 Honda Preludes that I owned when I was a teenager and when I went through my pre-midlife midlife crisis. So that was the prelude to your crises. <laughs> okay. All right. So I don't think those were really that cool cars, but Brian did. But what, what was what was your cool set of wheels? The twins. Okay. My scooter. <laughs> yeah. All right. Jack. My, my purple Jeep. Ooh, a purple Jeep. Yes. It's a very old car, but it, it, I drove it because it actually feels like driving a really solid uh, tank and not one of these winky, you know, um, bugs or Prius. <laughs> yeah. So, all right, you just you had me a purple, the uh, purple Jeep. That's that's pretty cool. It's not like a girly purple. It's like a deep purple. Deep, deep purple. All right, all right, purple, purple rain kind of thing. Anybody else? Cool, cool set of wheels that you had. I mean, I first, well, it wasn't my car, but it was my dad's, and it was a Dynamic 88, and it went really fast, and it was what I learned on, and when it went into second gear, I kind of freaked out, because it was, like, really fast. <laughs> so, so my question is, is how fast did that car go, Eileen? Well, you know, I don't really know. <laughs> oh, okay, so you weren't watching the speedometer while you were driving. We got that confession right there. Okay, Caleb. So, our coolest set of wheels. Yeah. I had a big wheel when I was little. Yeah. 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 So the big wheel. I had a uh, bright red Tiburon. That I just fly through Wyoming in. Okay, alright. Anybody else? You see Jamin's 1990 Buick LeSabre outside? That thing is a smooth ride. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> two cans of Metamucil in the glove box because if it's a Buick, it's typically somebody who's enrolled with AARP who's uh, driving one of those around. And yes, I had one too. In fact, that was my cool set of wheels. It was a Buick Century, 1955, back when they knew how to make vehicles, right? Everybody had a 57 Chevy or something like that, but I had a 55 Buick Century, which had been sitting in a, in a pasture for like, I don't know how many decades. And, uh, I bought it for a whopping $200. I put a battery in it and we had to put a fuel pump in it, which turned out to be a little bit of problem for us because it created a, a vapor lock if I ever slowed down. And I had to drive three and a half hours from that pasture back home with this thing. And, it, and like I said, been sitting in a pasture for quite a while. So there were cobwebs and there was dust and every, I had all the windows down and it was just blowing out of, of the, the cab of my car. And uh, when I got home, I, 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 there was this funky smell. And when I got home, I, I flipped the, the back seat over and yeah, there had been mice living in, in that thing out in the pasture for quite a while. And there had been mice dying in that thing as well. There were little intact mummies of, of mice in my but it was it was a great car. I miss it greatly. If I could go back and get that car again, I would I would love to have that again. My dad sold it for fifty dollars more than I bought for it, which he thought or paid for it, so he thought that was a really good deal. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. So anyway, uh, the thing that I've often wondered about though is you see a really nice set of wheels and it's in a garage and it's got a cover over it and it's just sitting there just sitting there and that for some reason really bothers me because i'm thinking if you've got that nice of a car and it's it's that cherry that sweet then then get it out on the road you know take the risks and drive that thing don't just let it sit there hidden away because it's a work of art and I, I say that because I think that I think that we all do it. I know I do it. We sometimes do that with God. We we tuck him away in the corner of our garage and put a tarp over him, and uh, and, and we pull him out every, every time we you know there's a car show. Okay, well I better get I better get my car out. Well, okay, church is on Sunday or on Friday. In this case, I probably better pull the tarp off of God and and get him out once in a while. When he is, is, we just saw in that video, yearning for us to experience him every single day. So that leads me into another question that I want to ask. And I'm going to repeat this question at the, uh, at the end of the, the talk tonight. And it, it, it's basically this. If I can find it. Where do you need to see God mighty, powerful, and awesome? In your life? Right now, where do you need to know that God is powerful? That He is awesome? And He is mighty? I want you to think on that because that's important. Uh, I've got some areas in my own life from just this week where I definitely need God to show up in a very powerful way. Well, we're going to take a look at Psalm 68 tonight. Now, this is a very interesting psalm. Uh, we, we chose this psalm, Brian and I, we chose this because we're doing a series called Selah, which is a Hebrew word that, as far as we know, means, hey, just take a minute and park on this and, and stop and rest here. 
uh, being as we've kind of got this car motif going on tonight, just pull into the rest area and take a break and, and just drink this in. And we chose the, we chose the Psalms that had three or more of these pauses, these Selahs in them. And Psalm 68 is the one we're looking at tonight. And here's the interesting thing about this Psalm. Uh, King David of the Old Testament, you might know who he is. You remember the famous guy that wiped out the giant with a sling. Um, he wrote this thing. And it's interesting what inspired him to write this psalm. Uh, a couple of things. One was his victory over the Jebusites. Now the Jebusites were Canaanites who were supposed to have been driven out of the land, but Israel was not obedient to God and did not drive them out. So they were still there causing problems. And you can read all about that through throughout uh, um, Joshua and Judges and, and all the way up into David's day. And, and David saw God powerful, mighty, and awesome in helping him to drive the Jebusites out of there. So he wrote a song about that. And then what was his point of inspiration for this psalm was the book of Judges, chapters 4 and 5. The story of Deborah and Barak and a guy named Sisera. Because in the same way, in the 4th and 5th chapters of the book of Judges, we see God show up mighty, powerful, and awesome. Israel was oppressed at that time in the book of Judges uh, by the Canaanites. And they had, a, they had this, this superhero, uh, the Canaanites did, whose name was General Sisera. You know, it just sounds like he had to be in a Star Wars movie or something. General Sithra. <laughs> he, he was a Sithra, you see. <laughs> and anyway, he, this guy was famous for his set of wheels. He had 900 iron-wheeled chariots. The Bible goes into detail on that several times. It talks about his chariotry. 900 iron-wheeled chariots. These were the military machines of the day. You could not withstand them. And apparently he had a horde of Canaanite warriors around him so nobody could stand up to him. Israel would not stand up to him. God went to Barak and said, Barak, I want you to face Sisera. And Barak said, I will only go if Deborah goes with me. (laughs) Which apparently means he was chicken. And he wanted her spirituality there alongside him to endorse this thing. And so, you know, it's like, okay. So, and Deborah warned him, says, well, okay, because he didn't fully obey God. Now the credit of defeating Cicero when that happens is not going to go to you. It's going to go somewhere else. And it did. It ended up going to Deborah and, uh, and this Kenite woman, uh, named JL. Now these Canaanites had God that they worshiped and his name was Baal. And if you ever see a, a picture or a depiction of, of Baal, he, he is a thunder god, okay, not Thor, but uh, probably what Thor and other mytho- mythos were based on. He was a thunder god that had a club in one hand and a bunch of lightning bolts in the other. And, and, he, and he thundered through the skies in a chariot. All right. This was the great god of the Canaanites at that time. Now, interestingly enough, God chose this man named Barak to go and to fight Sisera and his chariots against these Canaanites who worshipped this god Baal, 
who had a th- who was a thunder god, and guess what Barak's name means? Lightning. So he was the lightning in Yahweh's hand in this great story that you'll find in the book of Acts. I encourage you to go and find that and read this. I'm just kind of summarizing it right now. Now, when the battle came, God showed up. As I said, God showed up mighty. He showed up awesome. He showed up powerful. And he scattered the army of Sisera. Sisera left his chariot. We don't know why. Maybe uh, God sent a thunderstorm or something in there and the mud bogged him down or something. But he actually jumped out of his wonderful set of wheels and he took off running and he ran to this 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 uh Kenite habitation, and the Kenites, you might remember, was Moses' father-in-law's family. And they were on, they were for the most part on the Canaanite side. But this this woman who dwelt in this tent by the name of Jael was not on the Canaanite side. He made a big mistake when he went into her tent. He broke the rules of hospitality by even going in there. And so she was free to react however she chose to react. And he said, You've got to hide me. She says, all right. And then he says, now you've got to go stand out outside the tent and, and you've got to keep a lookout for me. And if there's somebody looking for me, you just send them on, the, uh, on another way. And she's like, all right. And he says, give me some food and give me something to drink. And she's like, all right. <laughs> and so she did. She got him some milk and uh, she put a rug over him. And this exhausted, fearsome general fell asleep in her tent. Now, the Canaanite women were the ones who were responsible for setting up the tents and tearing them down, so they were quite adept at the, the tools of the trade in that. And so JL, being JL, picked up a tent peg about yay long, set it against Sisera's temple, and hammered it right through, and General Sisera died in her tent. First man to die of a splitting headache. <laughs> quite a story. And, and, and that story is what inspired David because it wasn't what J.L. did, it wasn't what Barak did, it wasn't what Deborah did, it was how God showed up in Judges chapters 4 and 5 and it reminded of how God showed up for David in, in 2 Samuel chapter 5 against the Jebusites. And so we wrote this song and we're going to read through it real quick and then we're going to talk about some of the things we see in there. So here it is, Psalm 68, and you're going to see as you look through this, and I'll, I'll help you, I'll point them out as we go, you're going to see nine portraits of God in this. And we're just going to talk about those very briefly. I just want you to see that because that's why we go to the Bible. Because as that video showed us, Satan is not going to tell us who God is. He's going to tell us something else. And we're very susceptible of getting the wrong portrait in our head of who God is. And we really desperately need to know the truth about who God is. And Psalm 68 will help us see that. So here we go. Let me take a deep breath because we've got to read through this. Psalm 68, beginning with verse 1. God shall arise, his enemies shall be scattered, and those who hate him shall flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so you shall drive them away. As wax melts before fire, so the wicked shall perish before God. But the righteous shall be glad, they shall exult before God, they shall be jubilant with joy. And here we see the first portrait of a victorious God. Verse 4 shows us a redeeming God. Sing to God, sing praises to his name, lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord, exult before him. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. 
He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious will dwell in a parched land. And then in verse 7 through 10, we see a shepherding God. Oh God, you went out before your people when you marched through the wilderness. Selah. The earth quaked, the heavens poured down rain before God, the one of Sinai, before God, the God of Israel. Rain in abundance, O God, you shed abroad. You restored your inheritance as it languished. Your flock found a dwelling in your goodness. O God, you provided for the needy. And then verse 11 through 14, we're going to see a commanding God. The Lord gives the word. The women who announce the news are a great host. The king of the armies, they flee, they flee. The women at home divide the spoil. Though the men, you men, lie among the sheepfolds, the wings of a dove covered with silver, its pinions with shimmering gold, when the Almighty scatters kings. There let the snow fall on Salmon. And then verses 15 through 18, we see a most high God. O mountain of God, mountains of Bashan, O many-peaked mountains, mountain of Bashan, why do you look with hatred, O many-peaked mountain, at the mount that God desired for his abode? Yes, where the Lord will dwell forever. The chariots of God are twice ten thousand, thousands upon thousands. The Lord is among them. Sinai is now in the sanctuary. You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. And then in verse 19 through 23, we're going to see a saving God. Blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. God is our salvation. Selah. Our God is a God of salvation, and to God the Lord belongs deliverances from death. But God will strike the heads of his enemies, the hairy crown of him who walks in his guilty ways. The Lord said, I will bring them back from Bashan. I will bring them back from the depths of the sea that you may strike your feet in their blood, that the tongues of your dogs may have their portion from the foe. And then in verse 7, or I'm sorry, verse 24 and on, we see the seventh portrait, a worthy God. Your procession is seen, O God, the procession of my God, my King, into the sanctuary. The singers in front, the musicians last. Between them, virgins playing tambourines. Bless God in the great congregation, the Lord, O you who are of Israel's fountain. There is Benjamin, the least of them in the lead. The princes of Judah in their throng. The princes of Zebulun, the princes of Naphtali. And then verse 28 through 31, we see... A powerful God. Summon your power, O God, the power, O God, by which you have worked for us. Because of your temple at Jerusalem, kings shall bear gifts to you. Rebuke the beasts that dwell among the reeds, the herd of bulls with the calves of the peoples. Trample underfoot those who lust after tribute. Scatter the people who delight in war. Nobles shall come from Egypt. Cush shall hasten to stretch out her hands to God. And then verses 32 through 35, we see an awesome God. O kingdoms of the earth, sing to God. Sing praises to the Lord. Selah.
to him who rides in the heavens, the ancient heavens, behold, he sends out his voice, his mighty voice, ascribe power to God whose majesty is over Israel and whose power is in the skies. Awesome is God from his sanctuary, the God of Israel. He is the one who gives power and strength to his people. Blessed be God. Let's pray. Lord, there was a lot in that song, in, in that, in that uh, poetic prayer that, that David wrote down, and, and so much uh, in that reveals who you are. And Lord, sometimes poetic language, we, we, we lose the meaning of things in our culture and we don't understand it. So we ask that your spirit would speak to us and that you would give us a deeper understanding of this psalm because we know who you were to Deborah and to Barak and to Jael. We know who you were to David and the Israelites in the days of the Jebusites. You have shown yourself powerful and awesome and mighty time and time again throughout the stories of the scriptures. You did it at the cross. And you sealed it when you blew open the tomb and came out alive. Lord, we need to see you and we need to know what these words mean to us today. So we ask that you would make yourself known to us as we explore these scriptures and some of the ideas in them. Lord, I can't do that, but your spirit can. So speak to us tonight. Uh, Speak to us as we speak to one another. And as we speak forth from your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so here we see kind of a big idea in this this whole story. We see God doing two things. And this is what you always should do when you're reading scripture, is, is see how it unveils God. Who is he, or what is he doing, or both maybe at the same time. And, and I saw a couple things in this psalm that God was doing. He was establishing, and he was scattering. Did you catch that? That was a kind of a repeated theme in there, the scattering that God does. Well, did you, did you see in there who it was that God established? Who was it that God kind of put in a, in a good place? His people. All right? Any others that you saw in there? Who else did God put in a good place? Might help if I if I give you a hint. He is the defender of the of the fatherless, the orphan, and that and that is repeated so often through Scripture. In fact, uh, James in the New Testament even tells us that's what real religion is. That's what authentic faith is. Is this, it's watching over the orphans and taking care of them and the other group, the widows. You know, and, and that's, that's an admonition that was given time and time again through Israel all the way to the church to us today to, to be a defender of the fatherless, a protector of the widow. Because God puts them in a good place. That's where his heart is. Okay? Uh, you mentioned the poor. Okay? Uh, the, the prisoners were mentioned. He leads them out in exaltation and prosperity. You know, he takes the captive and puts them in a, in a joyful place. We might kind of summarize that God establishes the marginalized in our world. The people that often seem to think they have no reason to hope. These are the ones that God comes and he establishes. And let me tell you, if you're here tonight and you're thinking, man, I need some hope. 
I've got some circumstances, or I've got some situations, or I I know some people that are going through stuff, and I just want to somehow impart some hope to them. It's found in the God who establishes. Okay? It was also shown in there that God scatters. Do you remember who God scattered? Okay, I get them all at once. Say, say that again, <laughs> Andy. Uh, okay. okay, yeah, these these violent people that love war and bloodshed and that kind of thing. I mean, these people that really love what Satan has to say and they want to run with it. He scatters them. Okay, was there his enemies? His enemies. People who lust after tribute. People who lust after tribute. People are just after their own glory, wanting to be God in His place. You know, instead of letting God be God, they they want to be God. Um, those who hate Him was mentioned in there. He scatters those who hate Him. Uh, he scatters the kings. Um, we might sum that up as the powerful, the powerful of our culture or this age. Um, don't stand before God. They melt away like wax at intense heat is some of the language that David used in there. Well, I think we need to stop and think about this for a minute. Who are God's enemies? You know, who, what are, what's an enemy to God? Me. Okay, yeah, he just went right to it. I mean, we could say, well, Satan, Satan's an enemy of God, right? Yeah, um, you know, the, the heathen, no, they're not really enemies of God. They just happen to be de- departed from God. Um, death is the last enemy to be defeated, so we could probably say death is an enemy to God. But when it comes right down to it, Col- Colby just hit the nail on the head. He said he is. And, and you have to stop and think about that cause, because we are. In, in our own natural state, apart from Christ, we are, we are opposite to God. We are opposed to Him. We are His enemy. Get him. And, get him. What's that? Get him. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, it's, and that's reinforced in the New Testament a lot of times when it talks about how we were once hostile in mind, alienated, how we were once enemies to Him. But do you remember something that Jesus said that probably shocked a lot of people? What He said that we were supposed to do with our enemies? Pray for them, love your enemies, and that sort of thing. And how dare he say something like that? Well, because he did it. He came to me. He came to us. When we were enemies, when we were hostile in our thinking, alienated against God, and he died for us. Not when we deserved it, because we never could deserve it. Not when he said, oh, I think they're good enough now, because we could never be good enough. He came to us when we were at our worst, and when we gave him nothing but our worst. And he gave us his best at the cross and died for his enemies. But we know that there's going to come a time, a time of judgment when he comes back. And when that happens, all those who hate him, all those who are opposed to him, are going to burn away like wax. They're going to be scattered. And only those that have trusted Jesus as their Savior are going to know what it means to be established, like the orphan or the widow or the prisoner. Okay, so we have those big ideas. Now I want us to look at these Selahs, okay? And we don't have to take a whole lot of time, but I want you to talk at your tables. Um, there, there were three Selahs that were mentioned in there. Verse 7, verse 19, and I think the other one was verse 32. And in the first one, it says that it, it kind of showed that God leads in the wild places. Okay, and, and back in that day, those, those were the desert places. And I want you to think kind of figuratively here in your own life. 
what is a desert place for you? <laughs> a place of dryness, a place where death seems to reign, a place where you seem spiritually parched. And, and, and where do you need to see God lead? What are the wild places of your life where you desperately need to see God lead? Right, and and I'm, this might require a little vulnerability at your tables and a little bit of trust as you as you share this. But I encourage you to do that. Um, I'll start. All right, I'll, I'll, I don't have a table, so I'll just share with all of you. Okay, I desperately need God to lead me through the wild places of our family's finances. Desperately, desperately, I, I need His leadership in that. Okay, so there's there's one of many examples. You guys go ahead and talk for a minute at the table, and uh, and then we'll move on. Tell them depth, just kind of hit that area. Oh, 
Okay, I'm going to interrupt, but don't be disheartened because you're actually going to be able to continue this vein, this this thought here. But I'm going to go back to that first Selah. Oh God, when you went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness. And then the Selah happens right in the middle of a statement there. It happens at a comma, not at the end of a of, a, of, a, of this thought. The, the Selah says, just stop and think about this for a minute, that whatever you're going through in life right now, whatever circumstances you're in, God has already marched into it. God is already leading the way into that, and he, he wants us to know that about him. The, the second Selah was in verse 19. I'm going to read it this time before we talk about it. Um, Blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. God is our salvation. Um, This presents the idea that God is our daily Savior. I think sometimes as Christians we just lock into, okay, yeah, he died on the cross for my sins and saved me from my sins and saved me from the brokenness of myself and restored me back into a relationship with himself. But I think we sometimes miss the fact, this is where I think that I put God in the tarp in the back of the garage. I forget that God is my daily Savior. That he gives grace every single day um, to, to, to save me. And, and, and not just from my sin, but in many ways, God is a, is a rescuer. And so in a minute, I'm going to ask you to just continue sharing as you just, just were, because like I said, it's kind of in the same vein. Um, where, where do you need to see God save you in a daily way? You know, how do you need God to show up in your life? That's, that's kind of the same thing. Again, let me share. I don't have a table. Uh, a year ago, my brother had a motorcycle accident, and it took two weeks for him to pass. It was a horror to go through those two weeks and then finally come to the realization that the, the prayers that we were lifting up weren't going to get answered the way we hoped they would. <laughs> and uh, now we're, we're marking that year anniversary. We're right in the middle of that again. And, uh, and it's, it's hard adjusting to life without my big brother and I'm watching my I'm watching my sister-in-law who is now a widow and we know that God establishes the widow um, and seeing her go through this anniversary of pain and uh, and it, it has it's been a tough year for her and I think to myself man God I need you to rescue us I need you to show us grace as a family or to, to our family as we walk through this. That's just, that's just an example. Um, there would be lots of other things. So continue talking at your table. What are ways that you just need to see God's daily grace? What's a way that he could come in and rescue? A way that he can save? Thank you. 
Okay, I'm going to jump in again here, um, and I know I'm interrupting when I do that, but that's okay. Part of why we set this service up the way we did is so that we get out of here and you guys can actually move to another location and continue the conversation that you started here, because there might be some that really do need to be carried on, and it doesn't have to happen tonight. Maybe you can just say, hey, let's grab a cup of coffee Saturday or something like that. Let's go on a bike ride or something and, and just spend some time together. But I think right now, so far, you guys probably are pretty well equipped to pray for one another. I think, I think you've probably learned enough things tonight at your table where you can say, man, I know, I know how to pray for, for so-and-so. Now, I know how I can lift them up before God. And, and you can also know that you can look at the people across from your table and say, man, these things I shared with you tonight, will you pray? Will you pray that God will show up strong and mighty in, in my life? Will he, will he be, will you pray that God will lead me through the wild areas, that God will uh, show his daily salvation and bear up my burdens to me? Okay? The third Selah 
is is an interesting one. And uh, we're not going to discuss, we're just going to launch right into it. But I, I want to read the, the whole context of this. It begins with verse 32. O kingdoms of the earth, sing to God. Sing praises to the Lord, Selah. And this is so cool because throughout the entire Bible, you're going to see that that is God's heart. That is God's passion is to reach every peoples of this world. And one of the great lies is that God only cares about the church. God only cares about Israel. Well, no, God raised up Israel and God has raised up the church to reach the nations. That's That was Israel's job. That's the church's job. That's what we're supposed to do. That someday every people, every tongue, every tribe will, will, will give praise to God. All right? To him who rides in the heavens... Uh, the ancient heavens. Behold, he sends out his voice, his mighty voice. And then it says, ascribe power to God whose majesty is over Israel and whose powers, whose power is in the skies. Awesome is God from his sanctuary. The God of Israel, he is the one who gives power and strength to his people. Blessed be God. And when it says ascribe, that means to give to God what he is due. That means to, to, to declare who God is. Alright? So, um, we're just going to popcorn this. You can just speak it out from your table there. Ascribe. Give to God His due. What's something that you can say God is or God has shown Himself to be? Go ahead. I use, oh, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> you can go. That's fine. <laughs> God is faithful. All right. There you go. All right. What else? God protects us. God protects us. Patient. God is patient. He provides. God provides. God is God. God is God, and there's no one beside him. Okay, what was the other one? Mysterious. He's mysterious. Mysterious, yeah. He's greater than we can even understand, but yet he somehow makes himself known to us. Okay, good. What else? Ascribe to the Lord. Comfort. He's a comforter. He's a fantastic listener. <laughs> He's a fantastic listener. No one listens like he does. Yes, Brian. Um, I learned this month that I'm learning this month. I was very close, and I, I doubt that a lot. So that's why I'm learning. Because you don't learn something you don't doubt. Okay. All right. And God's comfortable with our doubts. He's big enough to handle those doubts that we might have and to make himself known to us in spite of them. Okay? Any others? Jack? He's a history maker. He's a history maker. <laughs> Definitely. And, and that's something that's good to know because he's still writing your history. He, and, and he's in your story. And, and, and he is, if you read the end of the book, you know he is a victorious God and he wants to bring us to that history. Uh, at that point of history as well. And that's something that extends all the way into eternity. Uh, but we can only knew, know that through faith, uh, through faith in Jesus Christ. Um, uh, just 
going to ask you to continue throughout this weekend in the quiet in the quiet hours, and hopefully the restful hours that you have in this weekend, to just stop and think, you know, God, you are. You have shown yourself to be this to me. And, and just describe to him. And did you notice the turnaround in there? Uh, the, the same Hebrew word was used in ascribing to God what is due to him. As when it says later on in verse... Uh, I forgot the verse now. I lost it. Hang on a second. Um, verse 35. God also gives power and strength to his people. See how that works? You know, God's just not a taker. He's a giver. Uh, we could we could ascribe that to God. He's the best giver ever. He, he gives more than he ever takes. Um, so not only do we give to him, but God gives to us grace. Because that's what power and strength is. It's grace. Okay? So let me close with this. Uh, something else that jumped out at me in this, this psalm while I was reading it. Do you remember what Cicero was known for other than dying of a splitting headache? What was he famous for? Chariots. Chariots. He had a great set of wheels. 900 war chariots with iron wheels. All right. Did you notice that this psalm talked about God's chariots? Thousands upon thousands. God's chariots go through those desert places, we were told in verse 4. God's chariots thunder through the heavens, we're told, in verse 33. Remember Baal? He had a chariot too. Well, it looked like a Ford Pinto next to what God has. All right. If you don't know what a Ford Pinto is, just Google it. <laughs> but that's, that's part of what David is establishing in here, is that the Canaanites thought Baal was really something. But God demonstrated time and time again in the history of His people, in spite of His people, that He was far greater. He alone is God. There is no one beside Him. So, God's got a great set of wheels. And He thunders into His chariots, strangely enough, to our rescue. He comes into our lives to save us, to rescue us. So let me ask you again, where do you need to see God as mighty, awesome, and powerful in your life? And let's pray. Lord Jesus, let your chariots thunder into our lives and scatter the things we fear. Scatter the things that make us less than you created us to be and and, and died for us to be. Scatter the things that, that we bow down to instead of you. Lord Jesus, thunder into our lives and establish us in your kingdom and in your grace. Help us to be able to stand in those wild places of our lives where we so desperately need you to lead us. Lord, make us firm in following you. Remind us that today and every day, your grace is sufficient and that your desire is to redeem and to fix what is broken and to deliver where there is hurt and where there is need. Lord Jesus, help us to give you the honor that is yours alone. Uh, In this moment, we praise you for who you are and what you do. 
Jesus, your name is the only name that brings salvation. We pray right now for our city that your name would be made known here. We pray for all the peoples of the world that they too would know your name. And Lord, we pray for our own lives right here that your name would be made famous in us in our daily walk. And we pray that we might rise up as your people and make your name known wherever we go. And it's in your name, Jesus, that we ask these things. Amen. Hey, thanks everybody. Uh, Hope you have a wonderful weekend. And I do encourage you, pray for one another. Continue these conversations that you've been having. Keep digging in the Psalm 68, where we barely scratched the surface of this. But, But more than anything, just... Just remember, you've got an amazing God who is awesome, mighty, and powerful, and he wants you to know that in your life. So go and be blessed. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common Ground Church.